The difference between people that make it and people that fail is them. It's not their circumstances because it's a principle. It's a godly principle, but it's a principle of life. If you put your mind, if you believe you can do something and you don't give up, you will do it. So no matter how hard your dream may be, no matter how intimidating it may seem, no matter what odds are against you, if you truly love it, if you're truly passionate about it, don't give up and don't let anybody talk you out of it. I graduated high school back in 2014 and 2014, they sent me some stuff. I looked into full sale, but that was for a 20 month program, a hundred thousand. I don't know what you're paying right now. Hopefully it's cheaper than that, but it's like 86, 86. Okay. So, so it went gone down, down just a little bit, not too much, but it went down just a little, just, I mean, a little bit. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a little something, but not, not definitely not enough. Definitely not enough. I do want to get your take about film and uh, film school particularly. Um, okay. Pros and cons. So um, it's it's interesting. The film industry is, in my opinion, it's one of those things where you don't actually need to go to film school to make it. Like if you look at all of the big filmmakers, uh, some of them, Steven Spielberg, Quentin Tarantino, um, Christopher Nolan, they never went to film school. It's one of those things where you don't need a degree to make it in the industry because ultimately when you're going to studios and producers and distributors, they don't care if you have a degree. Oh, I have a degree from Full Sail University or I have a degree from New York Film Academy. It's like, it doesn't matter. Who do you know? How good are you at the job you do? How dedicated are you? How is, how is your personality? How do you work well with others? And who knows you? Who is recommending you? It's all about connections. You know, unlike whether if you wanna become a doctor or other fields like that, um, you need a degree, you need to go through school. But film is one of those industries where you don't need it, you can just jump right into it. And there's pros and cons to that. Like some of the pros would be, you know, you don't have to go through school right out of high school. If you have it like that, if you wanna start or you have the ambition to just jump into the industry, you can do that without any film school, no education. I mean, other than educating yourself. But the cons is that you're pretty much starting from nothing. You know what I'm saying? You're starting from nothing. And there's not really, you don't really have any foundation to build off of. And film school doesn't necessarily give you that foundation. Um, I mean, the main reason I went to film school was for connections, was for networking. Number one, I felt like God was calling me to full sale. But then at the same time, as I'm looking into it, it's like, I just need more experience and I need to meet more people. I need to be in a networking of, around a network of people that are in the industry, that know people in the industry. Cause you never know who you meet, who knows a big producer or a director and knows people to get you onto a film set. So um, I think, I don't think film school is necessary. It depends on what you're going for. Cause it can be a waste of time depending on what you're looking for. Like if you're going there to learn about film and you're going there to um, learn the ins and outs of the industry, it's not necessary because you can learn all of that on your own. I, I can't remember who said this. A friend told me this. He was like, you know, you can go, you can learn everything on YouTube university, you know, YouTube um, research, just re it's one of those things where it's an open book. There's no, you have to get into the film industry this way. It's all sorts of ways. Film school could be one of those outlets to, to get into it though. And it's so much easier for us too. I mean, think about just generations ago. And I, and I never really talked about this on the podcast, but 
Um, my grandmother has dementia and she's been going on like 10 years of it. But one of the things that always sticks with me is every time I'm back there now between her crying and sobbing and angry moments, because dementia messes up the mind a little bit, you know, so they're, they're lost in reality mm-hmm. and they're, they're frustrated and locked in their own body. But she always talks about, I wanted to be a teacher. I never got the opportunity. You know, back then it was just strictly grow up, work on the farm or whatever, and do the, do the work there. And that's how she really lived her life. And I always thought to myself, like, can you picture like back then they didn't have the opportunity really. Like they either couldn't afford it. And uh, there was nothing digital really back in like, I want to say like the twenties and forties to do that much. You either had like the big break you needed, but here independent filmmakers like ourselves or whatever, we can just buy a camera DSLR or just cell phones. You know, (laughs) what, what was it? Modern family was filmed. Like a few episodes was filmed on a cell phone. It's truly incredible. Um, So one of the things too, and I know this rambled, I know this rambled off the whole film school topic, but do you see a lot of, so what, what's your opinion? So I, I come from, let me back up where I come from my track. I'm a telecommunications major. So I did a lot more journalism and went down that road with Bloomsburg University because they didn't offer a filmmaking program. Um, but how did you, what's a better way to phrase this? How did you really pick where you wanted to be? Like behind the camera, do you always want to be behind the camera? Did you want to write? Did you want to do more set design? Because looking at Bloomsburg University, where I came from, is more so, okay, let me just learn how to do the TV production. Because that's one thing that I wanted to learn. I think I felt like that would teach me to be a better director. You know what I'm saying? Because like you're doing okay. switching and doing live production at that time. So that's really what I chose that for. But of course, like going back, saying YouTube University, yes, I recommend that to everybody. But what really made you choose the yeah. aspect of directing? Okay, so it's interesting. Growing up, it actually started with acting. I love acting, man. It's one of those things that's always been a passion, being able to take a character and put your own version of that character to life. You know what I'm saying? I love acting. I've always been in love with that. I started acting when I was three, not professionally, but that's when I realized, well, I really have a passion for that. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen Passion of the Christ, but um, I, I that was one of the first movies I saw when I was like five or four. I don't know how I ended up seeing that movie. But I after the film, I was pretending to be Jesus on the cross and I would make up all these different scenarios. And every time I would see something, I would always pretend to be that character. So it really started in front of the camera. But um, as time went on, I just started to just explore. Like I, I started to make um, like these little little short films with my toys. I would get like a small toy camera, make some films. I would have my brother, you know, help me out and make some stuff, just experimenting. And then I had my first um, video production camp, I think 2013. And that's when I realized I really love being behind the camera too. I love to make, I love to write, I love to create. Um, Because at first I thought, oh, I just love acting. But then at the same time, I would always find myself creating videos. And I would always be more comfortable with creating my own ideas. And as I'm doing research and as I'm, you know, learning more about the industry and realizing, oh, I want to be a director. You know what I'm saying? I want to be able to have a vision and bring it to life. I want to be able to write something, to write my own story, to have full control of the creative aspect and, you know, learn how to instruct other people to do it. Um, so that's really, it, it all just kind of fell into place. It all just kind of fell into place, just experimenting, just doing as much as I can in every possible field. Cause I tried a little bit of like set design. I didn't like that. Um, but cinematography, I love doing cinematography. I love doing lighting. I love doing sound. 
um, camera. I want to learn more about camera and everything like that. But um, behind the camera directing or in front of the camera acting or behind a computer or something writing, that's where I'm most comfortable. That's where I feel like those are my strong suits. And it just took like experimenting to to get there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know we're going to talk about your film 2020. And congratulations, by the way, for getting into a film festival. Thank um, you. When you look, I'm, I'm assuming you obviously directed and you were also acting in it, obviously, because we saw you on camera. Is there is there two mindsets going on? Because you're, you put the director's hat on. You're like, OK, this this camera needs to be here. We need to shoot this more emotion. And you're going back and forth between monitor and being in front of the camera. How do you kind of split them into two different jobs? Because I'm sure for people that don't know, that's obviously pretty hard. Yeah. Um, so it was I love acting so much. I have to find a way to at least put myself in there at least once. You know what I'm saying? And um, with 2020, that aspect, it was it was very difficult, but it was also a lot of fun. It was very hard. But um, the best way I kind of dealt with it was getting all of the character work for the character down before the film. Um, because in a way I'm a method actor. So whenever I take a role, I always try to become the character and really dive into what is this character thinking? What are they feeling? What is their backstory? What's their internal monologue? So that way when it gets time to um, actually film, all I got to do is snap my finger and I'm switching from Josh to Darian or whoever the character is. Um, and so for 2020, I really like months before shooting, I really, really had to dive into the character because I was like, I need to be so far deep into the character. And when it times to get on set, all I have to do is just snap and then I'll be in and I'll be locked in and the world will be real to me because I knew that directing, it's so much that pulls on your attention. I mean, you have such an incredible team, like first assistant director, um, cinematographer, they really put everything together for you. But still, as a director, you have to be attentive to every single thing. So it takes up a lot. So I knew that. And I knew that, like, I had to have the acting down pat. So I was like, let me just get as much as I can in. Let me focus as much as I can on my character beforehand. So that way I'm so used to it when it comes time to direct. I can be like, okay switch the camera, switch this camera. I want this shot. Let's go back to take one. Um, and then action. And then I'm daring because that work is the work was already done before shooting. Um, but it was it was very, very difficult. It was very, very difficult. But it was also it was also a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I know the next film I'm doing, I'm actually going to be taking a step back to just direct. But um, any chance I can get to write and act or direct and act, I love it. I love it. Well, to me, your your interpretation of your character in 2020 was this big, and it was a big epic monologue to me. And mm. how did you ba balance that? Because I'm assuming it took you a few takes. Maybe it didn't. Maybe I'm just like, hey, you got this all down in one shot. And you possibly no, definitely did, but <laughs> takes. Definitely, I've definitely messed up on the lines. But but I'm and and that's another thing too. As a writer and a director myself. Sometimes I have to look at the script on set and sometimes I feel embarrassed because I'm over here like, okay, I wrote this, but I was like, I forget what this is. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I can only imagine what's going through your head. It's like the whole crew's look at you like, dude, you wrote the script. Come on. Why are you messing this up? I, I can only imagine what that's like. Um, yeah. But like at the same time, like the monologues and the words, it spoke so 
it was so passionate and it really filled the whole of the year 2020, which is what you wanted, obviously. But tell us a little bit about the writing process of that, because how did you stage it? Did you block it when you went into the script form or was it just more from the heart and whatever flowed? Maybe you took it and posted and like, OK, hey, maybe I should have started with this. I'll slide it down farther on the on the sheet, on the script. Mm. So what was the whole in general? What was what was it like just writing that and trying to figure out? It was so that's it's crazy. That's a crazy story. So um, back in April, I did a short film and it was just something for me to experience. It was my first time doing a short film in a while. And it, it was pretty good. Like it, it, a lot of people liked it. It was one of the it was basically me like dipping my toe in, you know, because I haven't directed in a while. I did some things in high school, but nothing to the to that extent. Um, and, you know, every film I do, I try to make it not about me. It's all what God tells me to do. Like, God, are you telling me to do this? What's next? And after doing that other film, Deja Vu, um, I was kind of, I didn't really have anything to direct. I didn't really have any ideas. And I was like, God, like, what do you want me to do next? Like, I'm ready for the next short film. I'm ready for whatever you want me to do. I'm ready. And it's crazy. Um, April 1st, in the middle of the night, I had a dream about 2020. The entire short film, shot by shot. Um, I wouldn't say line by line, but the whole story in one dream. And I woke up and that was confirmation from God. Like, this is what I want you to do next. And at first I was really scared because I was like, this story is very controversial. Um, earlier in the year, um, my church had this, um, this service where they were remembering the victims of the, the Pulse nightclub shooting back in 2016. And so school shootings were a very sensitive and still are a very sensitive topic. And God is giving me, he wants me to do this short film about literally the protagonist is a school shooter. And even though he's not defending what he did, in a way he's judging other people when he is such a terrible person. And I was scared of a lot of things like, I don't want this to come off as me defending a school shooter or putting someone through trauma or triggering someone. And I'm just like, God, like, do you really want me to do this? And for a while I sat on the idea and I was like, I'm not going to do this. And I tried to even change up the story. Like mm, originally it was going to be just a monologue that I did of my own. Cause sometimes I'll do monologues. And I was like, I'm just going to do this as a monologue and post it somewhere. I didn't get peace with that. Let me just change it. Maybe he's not a school shooter. I didn't get peace about that. And originally like it, when I greenlit the, pro when I greenlit the project and I was like, God, I'll do it. This is what you want me to do. I'm down. He completely took over. He completely took over. It was 2020 was not me at all. That was 110% God. I just so happened to be a vessel in that time. And so the writing process, I remember writing it and things were just coming to me. Like he would just give me certain things to write. He would give me certain things like put this in there, add this, add this. And the whole time I'm like, God, do you really want me to put that in there? Or I would want to add stuff in like, hey, and he's like, no, don't add that in. Um, but I realized this because 2020 was supposed to be 10 minutes and it ended up being like almost 30. And I'm like, God, let me just take this down. I wanted to take a lot of it out. But God was just telling me, no, keep everything in. Don't change it. And it's insane because it was written in the span of a week over two drafts. And I sent it to a few people to have them look at it. But for the most part, it was one writing, it was one draft and it was done. And I've never written anything fast like that before in my life. 
And I was like, wow, like this is how I know it's God because I can't do this. Like I was reading the script and I was like, this is not even me. Like this is, this is beyond anything I could ever do. Because, you know, as, as a believer, you know, I believe that, you know, we can't do anything without God. We are absolutely nothing without him. You know, uh, growing up, I grew up in the church and I always had a pride issue. Like I always thought, oh, since I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, like I'm good. Like I can do this. But God has just been breaking me down slowly and slowly these past couple of years, just showing me you're nothing without me. And 2020 was a perfect, a great learning experience for me, like from a godly perspective, it was like, God, like I cannot do this without you. And I did not do this without you. And so the writing process, I God wrote it, man. I was just, I just so happened to be a vessel, man. So everything just flowed together. Well, everything like you talked about too, I think 2020 humbled a lot of people in many different ways and you know, allowed you to open, not only were people contained to themselves and really finding out who their friends were, who their family were when you had to be connected and, and realizing too, like, you know, we take family and all this other stuff for granted too. Like when you couldn't see family, even, you know, it's just like, Hey, you know, it's been you know, any other year, it's like, oh, I haven't talked to them in a few months. And I was like, man, I haven't talked to them in a few months. Let's reconnect somehow. You know, so you had like the, the Zoom meetings, everything else that went on. But your style just in 2020 alone, like in the short film, what made you choose the, the more close shots and the whole monologue scene? Like just keeping it there, not doing any flashbacks. Because there was opportunity oh. for you to do flashbacks in that film. Mm, it was. And it's crazy because originally I wanted to do flashbacks. I was like, God, this is a very... First, it's a dark story. And there's, I mean, we're just sitting here. I wanted to add music, but God was like, no music, no music at all, um, no flashbacks. And um, the main reason why there were no flashbacks, no cuts, he revealed to me, he was, he was real to me. He was like, I don't want you to put any flashbacks in, no music, because I want this to resemble as close to real life as possible. I wanted it to feel like people when people watched the film i wanted them to feel like they were literally sitting in an interrogation room and they were looking at the conversation realistically like me and you are talking there's no music in the background you know we're not seeing flashbacks and stuff like that we're just talking like he wanted me to create it to the point where it felt real and it felt raw the message was there um so that was the main reason for not having flashbacks was because he didn't want anything to distract from the core of it because music flashbacks, they things like that. They kind of tell the audience how to feel. They kind of, in a way kind of remind the audience that you're watching a movie, but with 2020, I wanted to go with the direction of this is raw. This is real. I don't want to tell them how to feel. I just want to just throw this message out there. No music, no flashbacks. Um, and in terms of the shots, like the close up, I wanted to cut as much as possible, even though there's not really opportunities to, because you're, I mean, in my opinion, 2020 already had a few disadvantages, no music, no flashbacks, one, loca one location, you're already breaking a few film rules. Cause in film, you know, there are rules, but you can break them as long as there's a reason to. Um, so the, I, I think the biggest thing that, I had to rely on was the dialogue and the shot composition. Are the shots interesting enough? Are they dynamic enough to carry the story? Is the dialogue enough, especially since it's pretty much just one guy talking to you the entire time. It's a conversation, but it's not really like you said, like an epic monologue. So 
that was the main reason for not putting flashbacks in there and not putting music was, you know, just what I felt like God was telling me in terms of just making it as real and as raw as possible. I don't know if you might've planned this and I want to get your take on it, but I know when I was taught in Du Bois Business College for the short little John Russo movie making school that I went down there for, um, we were always taught that whenever there's three characters in a scene, if you have your main character, your side character, and if you have your third character, the third character, every time you cut back to them, it's supposed to represent your audience. Like kind of like if you're cutting back to them in the middle of conversation, their, their faces kind of would be how the audience is going to feel or how the audience would feel in that moment. So mm. I, I'm going to take it from your character, the person that's being integrated, to the integrating person, which is what the, the lawyer or the DA, whatever uh, mm. the concept you had. And then you had that older man in the room, too, that sat there pretty quietly. He was the priest, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so he sat there pretty quietly, but every time you cut back to him, his face was just like looking, looking like kind of nervous, kind of happy, kind of sad, and it kind of flowed with the whole story. So, was there thoughts behind when you were going to add his camera shot in and what you wanted his camera shot to represent when he wasn't talking? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, um, Pastor Jake's character, um, Pastor Jake's character is to represent that hero. You know, he's someone that you look up to, that you respect. He's a pastor. He leads a big congregation. People look up to this man. He gives hope and inspiration to the world. And so he is somebody in the story that's very close to Darian. He knew his real parents. He knew his adoptive parents. Um, but Pastor Jake, in this scenario, even though he knows what Darian did, he feels so bad for him. He feels terrible because, like, this is someone that I saw grow up in my church and look at where he is, like just heartbroken for Darian and his story. And so um, the shots were planned to for that reaction. And the, the actors, the talent killed it. Um, Shayna, the one who played the detective, she absolutely nailed it. And uh, Buzz, who plays the pastor, I mean, he threw things in there. I didn't even tell him to throw in, but it just matched so perfectly with the story, his reactions, his his um his emotions, his internal monologue. You can see he's thinking things without even saying anything because his character says the least throughout the entire story. Um, but yeah, he was mainly there to represent the good, the hero. He was there to represent the person that's there to for the in-between. You have a really horrible person, Darian. You have the detective who is very, you know aggressive she just wants to get to the point and then you have the pastor who's that in between like hey you know calm down be easy on the kid be be easy and those those shots um his close-up shots his reactions um it wasn't purposeful i mean i told him about the character i told him and we had zoom meetings like hey uh, this is the type of character that you are but in terms of how it played out it was just him working his magic man excellent talent i couldn't have asked for two better like people to work with for a scene did you meet them through a casting call for Full Sail University? Had they already been on like staff or like were they outside members? Because I know we were just talking, um, mm -hmm. we were just talking to Christian and how Chase met Christian was just because Christian lived nearby. So yeah. how, do you, how do you cast typically for your film? Okay, so for this film, um, Buzz, um, the guy who played the pastor, he... I met him through backstage. I set up a backstage and I, I realized the pastor is a very, very important character. Like I wanna cast him right. I wanna have somebody that is not only bold and not only a leader, but someone that has that innocent, you know, kind of, it sounds weird, like an innocent face, like someone that you look at and you're just like, wow, like 
that's somebody I can talk to. And um, me and Lynette, uh, very good friend. She's the, the assistant director, the first assistant director for 2020. She helped me cast and we were going through the auditions and we were going through um, the different auditions that were sent through backstage. And we had a lot of good auditions, but when we saw his, it was one of those things like that, that's him, that's him. So we use backstage for buzz. Um, Shayna, I didn't audition her because I met Shayna on another outside shoot months ago. And I love Shayna. Like we, it's like really cool people to work with. She's a very tense, serious, like character on the screen. But in real life, she's like one of the funniest people you'll ever meet on set. And it was so much fun working with her. But I knew her months ago and writing the character as I read the script. Because when I write, I never have actors in mind. Um, but after I read the script, I'm like, wow, I know someone that would be perfect for this. And after reading the script, I was like, she would literally be perfect. Because for her character, I wanted someone that was obviously firm and aggressive, but someone that you respect. Someone that is, you know, in a way worthy to be in that position. Someone that is, you know, fairly young, you know what I'm saying? Um, attractive. Someone that, you know, you can be kind of intimidated by, but at the same time look up to. So their characters were very important. Shayna, it just so happened, she so happened to be the perfect person for the role. Buzz, I found him through backstage. So um, usually... It's it's crazy. It's such such a blessing, man. Like since I've been down here, I've met so many actors, so many talents. You know, for the next film I'm working on, um, I'm most likely going to use backstage. But I have six or seven people for a two person scene that I could easily just call up and try to get auditions from. So most of the time, I pull people from places that I've seen, people that I've worked with on set, people that I've acted with before. But see, you, you talk a lot about motivating people. And like, it, it seems like you're the big motivation. Like, I can just see you standing up there and giving speeches and getting $1,000 for speeches alone. Bravo, by the way. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. So talk a little bit about, because you have a podcast called Empowered that you're with. Now, yes. did you start that podcast or did he ask you to come on the podcast? And how, what got you into the pod, podcasting game? Okay, so my friend Noah, I love him, man. He's a brother. He's a brother to me, man. Noah started Empower. That was his vision. He started that, I would say, close to almost a year ago, close to almost a year ago. And it's such a powerful platform, man. He's such an amazing person, such a passionate person. He, um, he came through. And uh, I remember for season one, I watched all of the episodes. I was like, hey, man. I don't even listen to podcasts, but I had to tune in for you. You have some powerful stuff, man. You're changing people's lives. This is going to be something that takes off and inspires an entire generation. And so we're having these, these, these conversations when he launched season one of Empower. Um, and for season two, you know, I was joking around with him because after season one, he took a big break. And I was like, man, what's the next season, man? When are you going to start doing the episodes? He's like, I don't know, man, I might be going in a different direction with this. I might be looking for a co-host. And um, I was talking about, hey, man, if, you, if you're ever looking for a co-host, I'm down. But I, I, I was serious about it, but I wasn't pressing it. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those things that just kind of fell into place. And, you know, a couple months later, he hit me up and um, he was like, hey, man, you know, I would love for you to be my co-host. He prayed about it. We prayed about it. 
And ever since then, we've just been recording episodes. But it, it was his, it's his vision. You know what I'm saying? And even though it's our podcast, God put that in him. And God is just using him so much in that podcast. And, you know, just in the church, because we both go to the same church. And it's just using him powerfully, man. And I'm just so honored and just grateful to be a part of his vision. It's like, it's such... It's very exhilarating though, because we talk and it's just like, wow, like he talks and he includes me in all of the decision making and he gives me updates and stuff. And I'm like, wow, I'm just, I'm part of his vision. I'm so grateful to be a part of that. But, um, and it's crazy because I was talking to him and a few years ago, I just had this thought. I was talking to God and I was like, God, it'd be cool to be on a podcast. Like, that would be cool. Um, I'm not really like a radio type person. Uh, I haven't really listened to podcasts too much until I started doing this with him, but it's just crazy how God works things out. Um, but yeah, he's what, he's what got me into the whole podcast world. Well, the, the banter, and I've listened to a few episodes and the banter between you guys is just amazing. How like, you know, my podcasts are more like interview style, you know, where I talk about mm-hmm. your life and, you know, mostly this is, and I, and I tell everybody, my podcast is more simply for now I get, people that are on there are creative, whether it's movies, music, whatever, but it's mostly talk, not just about their faith, but, but talk about their belief in life in general and be able to connect everything with their filmmaking and making music for everybody or just whatever, you know, it's to entertain. Um, but you guys have some really hard hit, hard hitting episodes. Um, what has been your favorite topic so far, or maybe favorite's not the right word. How about the most touching topic you guys have covered? Oh, wow. That's man. It's, it's crazy because the episodes that God has given us, they've all been connected. Um, the very first, the very first episode we did was just, it, we just clicked. It was one of those things where we just clicked and it just flowed perfectly. Um, but I would say, I would say the most, excuse me, the most touching that we've done is probably, I think it's our fifth episode. It's canceled where we talk about cancel culture and how that has influenced society. And it was one of those episodes that was, controversial you know what i'm saying it's a very controversial episode but we cover a lot of deep topics that people don't really think about you know what i'm saying how cancel culture has influenced society you know i'm instituting our biblical beliefs into that it raised a lot of questions you know what i'm saying it caused you know some people to question us and 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 think about certain things but it also caused other people to look at us in, in a completely new light because our goal like at empower is to inspire change and to just get people to think about different perspectives, but at the same time, without compromising our beliefs. You know what I'm saying? Being Christian, it's it's a niche. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a straight and narrow path. And you're going to offend people. You know what I'm saying? You're going to suffer righteousness for God. But at the same time, that's always at the forefront of our minds. Whenever we record, we always pray before going in. Um, but cancel is one that was, I mean, very impactful. We're thinking about making a part two about the episode for sure. Um, for me, I would say the most impactful one for me was the fourth episode, which is when we talk about overthinking, because uh, growing up, I was a very big overthinker and it tend, it affected me in a very negative way. Like I always second guess myself when it came to the gospel. I always second guess myself when it came to just decision making uh, from everything, directing to film to to um, God and how he loves me and just things and that. and. Um, I was delivered from that at a church conference that we had at, at um, The Voice, Faith Assembly of Christ. 
Um, and we recorded that episode shortly before that. And it's, it's so interesting, though, because me and him, we talk all the time. Me and Noah, we're brothers. I mean, we talk all the time. But doing that episode and just having a conversation on that platform, it's something different. We just learn from each other even more. And doing that episode, it just, for me, I learned about a lot about myself. And I just saw a lot of things that I had to correct. Like, wow, like, I don't have to overthink. I just have to put this balance in. And it's funny because we literally plan out the outline before. Like, we know what we're going to talk about. And we don't script it because we want it to be natural. But we know the direction that we're going. And even then, I'm still hit with surprises. Like, wow, like, he'll say something. I'm like, wow, like, I didn't think about it that way. And then, because I, I personally learned a lot in my life and doing that episode as well. Well, that's one thing about podcasts too, is I don't like to script too many things because like, then you're not listening to what the other person's talking about. You know, yeah. if, you're thinking about if you're thinking about the next subject on your mind, like I have a list of things that I could ask. I have a, I have a whole sheet of paper right beside me here, but like, you know, if what, what's the point to just jump subject to subject instead of diving right in. And one, thing that, and one thing that you talk about because, because your, your friend's name is Noah, correct? I want to make sure I get that yeah. right. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you and Noah, it seems you have that banter, you click very well, but you, it seems like you're building up this core. And from what it sounds like from the outside perspective, you're building up this core of solid, not only Christian, but solid moral framework of friends. And from what you're collecting at Full Sail University too, between Chase and everybody else down there as well. How important is it that you build up and have that base heading out into the real world? Once you hit, once you get done with college, you go into the real world. How important is it to have that base of not only strong people in faith, but just strong people that believe in you. Wow. I think it's, I think it's imperative for me because one thing that I've kind of taken advantage of or not taken advantage of is community. You know, growing up in the church and everything, um, I was sheltered from a lot, but I still experienced a lot that I shouldn't have um, because of choices that I made, mistakes that I made on my own. And um, I never really saw community for some reason. I never saw community as a viable thing. Always, uh, it was 110% pride. It's like, oh, it's me, myself, and I. You know what I'm saying? It's me, myself, and God, maybe, because I grew up in the church, Christian by name only. I never lived it. You know what I'm saying? I, I would be in church on Sunday night and then at the club Monday night. You know what I'm saying? And had no guilt about it at all. You know, being in relationships I shouldn't have been in you know, secret sin, all of these different things that I was involved in. And the whole time I never seek help. You know what I'm saying? I was never involved with the community. I never opened myself up. But ever since I moved down here, because I moved to Florida from Maryland in September for Full Sail. And just the friends I've met at Full Sail, the people that I've met at church, um, it's just uh, so many real like brothers and sisters, like people that I can call on at any time, any time of the day, like, Hey man, I need to talk or vice versa. And, um, God has really been teaching me that community is where he moves. You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you how many times God has confirmed things through people that I've talked to just from being open. So I've really learned one of the biggest lessons I've learned that God has taught me since I've moved down here is that community is important. Community is key. So even graduating from full sale, I have people that I can still call up. I have family down here. I have family, you know, like Chase, family. I can call him at any time. Noah, family. And that's just a list that goes on and on and on. And so for me, I just think it's, it's so paramount. And I'm so grateful to have that that stability and to have that community even after I leave 
Full Sail, Florida, like friends for life, for sure. I heard a little bit of Dom Toretto in your voice when you kept saying family, so my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but was was there a certain was there a certain moment? Um, you you talked about when you moved from Maryland to Florida, and you said that's like uh, living in Florida and meeting the people kind of changed your path in life. But was there a, a specific moment that like your eyes were opened up wide? Hmm. So moving, it's it's interesting. So. For me, quarantine affected a lot of people in a lot of negative ways. But for me, um, I was so grateful and so fortunate enough that my, my family wasn't really affected by the pandemic in terms of finances. We were still stable, thank God. And I was, I was living with my dad um, during the pandemic. And during quarantine, it was actually a healthy time for me. I got a chance to reflect. I got a chance to kind of, in a way, relax because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a people person and I love talking to people. But at the same time, I like my free time. So quarantine gave me a lot of opportunities to just kind of reflect and pray. But my problem is that in my time spent with God, I developed this self-righteous mentality. I developed this mentality that, oh, I'm good, God, because, you know, I'm praying. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm straight. I'm good with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, um. I am holy, I'm righteous, I'm reading my Bible, like I am the man, I am doing this, I am holy. And I thought I was right because I'm doing it in the word, but to me it was a self-righteous mentality because I thought I was something without God. I thought that my righteous acts made me holy, but it's only God that makes us holy no matter what we do. And at the time I was in, um, I was involved in, in, a, in a relationship where I was sinning. And I knew what I was doing, but I didn't care. You know what I'm saying? Because, hey, I know I messed up, but you know, I'm reading my Bible today. You know what I'm saying? I thought my good works could outweigh my bad ones. And being in quarantine, being away from the world, being away from, from environments I shouldn't have been in, I was sheltered. You know what I'm saying? I was sheltered. And I was like, I thought I was being holy on my own, but really there was nothing to do. You know what I'm saying? There was nothing for me to get into because I was stuck inside all the time. But as soon as I moved down here, even though the pandemic was still going on, Florida is different. You know, we stayed open. As soon as I moved down here, I started falling into sin like heavily. And I was like, God, like, what's going on with me? Like, I'm this holy, I'm the pastor's son. You know what I'm saying? I grew up in the church. I'm not, I'm better than this. Like, I'm not like these people in the world. And God just took the opportunity, man. He just, uh, just to humble me, man. He just sat me down. I was so full of pride, so full of arrogance. And he just sat me down and just made me realize, hey, you're nothing without me. You're nothing. You thought you were something. Look at what you're doing now. Not to rub it in my face, but mainly just to show me like, you can't do this without me. Um, because I remember the first day that I was down here, September 28th, um, I was crying at my bed and I was like, God, whatever you want to do, do it. And he's been answering that prayer ever since, even things I didn't want him to do. But um, the eye opening moment for me, like the moment when I realized that things were, um, I guess, changing is it was it was the first it was my first time at the church. Uh, my friend Jack, another brother in Christ, man, I love him. He um, he invited me to a men's group because every Thursday night we have a men's group at the church. Uncommon. And just having that conversation, just being around a community that I realized like, wow, I have people here. You know what I'm saying? I have people here and God has just been 
just changing me ever since. I'm still going through a season of change. We, we all are. We all have things that we have to work on. We're all moving forward. But I guess for me, it was just that that humility that God put me through. That was my moment when I realized, wow, like some things need to change. Now, I've met through Chase and you obviously and um, and all my other guests that came on from that connection. I met a lot of Christians at Full State University. I'm mm. assuming, though, that it's not a Christian school, though, right? Like this, they're not denominational. They're just a normal no. university, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you now I'm assuming you guys all watch all your films together. If there's a film that you don't necessarily agree with and a message maybe has a darker tone to it. And because the person that is on the opposite end of the camera that's writing is darker. Do you ever take the opportunity to reach out to them, to other filmmakers that are in your class or when you see a film, and they're like, hey, is, is everything all right? Do you, do you talk to them? Not saying that you confront them and say that anything's wrong with them, obviously, you, but like to the point, do you talk to other filmmakers that like differ from you in genre? Do you try to build that connection and slowly try to work just the truth towards them? Absolutely. So it's very interesting because in terms of films, um, the collaborations that I've had, um, I haven't really worked with anybody where they've done a film and it's just like, yo, are you okay? Like, is, is everything good? Um, but I've definitely taken the opportunity to try to minister to as many people as I can, because, you know, as Christians, we don't, we, we never force the gospel, but it's our job to minister. You know, it's, it's our job to plant the seed. Um, but in terms of films, I haven't had a situation where I've watched someone else's film that has totally just disregarded the gospel. You know what I'm saying? It may not have the gospel, but it hasn't disregarded the gospel. Um, because, you know, there's not really a whole lot of people at Full Sail that want to do directing and writing because um, directing is, is one of those things where it's like, you know, you're not really as in control as you think you are. Like, a lot of times, like, I used to think a director was, man, I'm in charge of the shots. You know, I get to in char- be in charge of the lighting. I get to move lights, do the shots. And the director oversees that, but that's the cinematographer. A lot of people kind of get that mixed up. But um, uh, I have worked with a few people that have had films that are different, that have a different type of message to them. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, wow, like, Let's talk about that. You know, let's let's talk about that. I I know um my uh my friend Andrew, re- really good friend, my friend Andrew, um, he did a film, uh, How to Become a Ghost. And I was acting, and I'm not gonna give too much away, but the the uh the story is basically about this this guy who falls in love with this girl. Um, but at the end, something happens, and you it's some it's one of those things where it's like, wow, like that changed the whole story. Like you watch this story. And then at the very end, it's like, yo, did everything we just watched, did that mean anything? So I've had situations like that where I'll sit down and I'll talk with the director, like, hey, man, you know, like, what did you, you know, like, what did you mean by that? Like, like, um, but never one of those things where it was disagreements, but I have had conversations with people um, where I've had been blessed enough to have the opportunity to minister, where I've had the opportunity to, you know, talk about you know, why, why do you see things this way? Or, you know, why do you view things this way? And in a loving way, you know, talk and try to minister to them the gospel and not just in full cell, outside of full cell too. so many ministry opportunities, so many ministry opportunities. 
Well, it's uphill battle for not only you, but me and all other directors and creators out there too. And this isn't just speaking for the Christian genre, because listen, we just in life, you know, the odds of us making it to the level we want to get to is just astonishing anyway, the percentage. Um, but, you know, Hollywood doesn't exactly have the best rep for morals sometimes. Um, mm. But you, me, anybody else, Chase, you know, we have to find a way to not only lead our followers in that direction with our films and we have an obligation to God and to make good content for the community. But how do you, how do we try to, to change a culture like a Hollywood? If, if you're, if you're putting together this plan, okay. And you want to get rid of cancel culture and you want all this other stuff to go away. If you're trying to put together your plan, how are you going to attack attack? Not in the actual physical attack, but how are you going to attack Hollywood and try to build your films to more change them? So I think the unfortunate answer to that, um, the way that everything is moving, I don't, me personally, I don't think there's a way to change Hollywood or a way to eliminate cancel culture. I think those things are going to get stronger. I think that the morals of Hollywood and the immorals are going to get deeper. You know, there's no way to save the world, but there's a way to save people. You know what I'm saying? There is a way to reach out and minister to people and bring the gospel to people in a way that's never been brought to them before. And, you know, me, I feel like my part of that, part of my calling, all with God, is like to do films to the absolute best of my ability to be like, okay, I'm not just going to do a Christian film. Cause you know, growing up, I watched a lot of Christian films and I always commend them because their heart is right. But the films are terrible, <laughs> terrible, trash, man. Like, it's like, yeah. Terrible, bro. It's just like, sometimes they'll have films and it's like, okay, I see the message, but can you make it make sense? Like it doesn't make any sense at all. I don't, I can't remember what the name of the movie was, but the basis of it, father and son meet the guy that kills their daughter. The police catch him. And there's a scene where they're in the house. The police has him in handcuffs and the parent. And right before they take him out, the parents are like, Hey, wait, we should forgive him. And the police literally stop. And they're like, I will arrest him if you don't forgive him. But if you forgive him, we'll let him go free. And it's like, realistically, <laughs> in a world, whether you, whether you, you forgive know, somebody. That'd be great if the world actually worked like that. And there was no more criminals after that. It's like, oh, forgiveness is just like stopping sin completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, no consequences. We don't care about consequences. We don't care about that. But it was like, I was looking at that and I was just like, no, you have to bring realism into it. Don't forget, you're still making a movie. You know what I'm saying? You're still making a movie just because it's Christian. You put your best to it. My dad always says this. If you can't do something right, don't do it at all. Now, that goes out the door when God tells you to do something, but still do it to the best of your ability. I can't remember what scripture it is, but he says, give 110%. Do everything as you do unto me. And if I'm giving something to God, I want to give him my best, you know, my very best. And so for me, back to the subject of changing Hollywood, like, I don't think it's possible to change it, but I like to take aspects that entertain people. What do people like? And as long as it's biblical, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put every single aspect that people love that draws people in. Like they're watching a regular movie, but no compromise, no sex, you know, no cussing, um, violence. You know, we can dance around that a little bit, but like, um, 
I try to put those aspects in there and at the same time minister the gospel in a way that's not a Bible, you know, beating someone over the head. But at the same time, it's still not compromising. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, you know this, too, you know, as a, as a believer and a filmmaker, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. But with God, all things are possible. So I don't think it's possible to change the culture. I think it's too far gone. But the people, all of the people are not too far gone. There's still people out there in Hollywood that need everybody needs Jesus, but realize that they need something, that they're missing something. And all it takes is one soul, man, just one soul. You never know. Like, you never know where this conversation could end up. You never know how ministering to somebody on the street, how they get saved, then they minister to somebody else. And there's a domino effect. So it just takes one person, just one person to get saved, to just start this chain reaction. So I think it's about changing the people, not the culture. And I know you referenced it about planting the seed. I, I go by the one plants, one waters, one watch that grow theory all the time when it comes to my films. You know, I, I, I keep out nudity. I keep out anything sexual oriented. I keep out swearing in my films. Um, but you still have to, again, be real. Like you talked about, you know, my films, there's three or four of my films that do have shootouts. Like mm -hmm. guns are a real thing. Dying is a real thing, but it's about the message behind it at the same time. I'm not going to use verses in my film sometimes, although I was ironic and I used the church scene talking to like, a, there was a, uh, one of the bad, I don't know if you saw my film agendas, but there was a, a moment where he's talking about like head above the water, like the pastors on the pulpit. And I have him like cut scenes, drowning somebody being immersed. Yeah. So little things like that. But again, like I'm not one of the, and Chase called it a Bible thumper. I just call it like, I don't want to beat people with the word of God. You know, mm -hmm. in my films, because that kind of takes away. But we're also as a Christian society when it comes to movies is this. Is, this comes back from generations of like my parents' generation, even their parents' generation. They were always told that the movie theater and you might have heard this. The movie theater was a devil's worship place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's coming from like a long line of culture. And yeah. we're so far behind. It's like the DC Marvel reference. DC is yeah. so far behind Marvel. It's not even funny. Now, DC probably will never catch Marvel because of that. So, and I, that kind of references what you're saying with cultures. Like we are so far behind. We've lost the whole culture thres threshold when we should have been capturing it. But I still, I'm not somebody to throw away culture completely. You know, yeah. my, my theory is eventually this cancer call, cancel cancer. Well, can it's cancer too, but cancel culture stuff <laughs> will go away. Um, mm -hmm. Now it's going to be a long fight uphill, but I do, but I do believe this stuff will go away. For um, sure. I do want to talk about A Tender Flower, a, a film that mm. you are yeah. starring in, correct? Or is mm. that your film that you wrote as well? No, no, that was uh, Chase and Tony worked on that. Chase and Tony worked on that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm, I'm not starring. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm helping. Like, I, I'm, I'm an actor in the role. Um, but Chase, he stars in that, man. He does incredible. It was so incredible working with him on set, man. It was incredible. Talk about that a little bit, just being on set with everybody. Is, is there a certain way that you prep for a set day? Okay, so it, it depends on, on what I'm doing. For acting, um, I always method act. I, I always method act. Um, there are certain instances where I won't have to method act, and that was this film, A Tender Flower, um, basically about, you know, this homeless guy this homeless guy and he has no love. He doesn't see himself or his value, but in a way he meets this, this woman who sees his value and who wants to help him out. But this woman is in an abusive relationship um, with someone else. And so the story just kind of plays off of how the abusive boyfriend 
becomes jealous and envious of the homeless guy and, you know, just how purpose and things play out. It's a very powerful film. Um, but with a tender flower, um, my character, I was just the, I was the homeboy of the abusive boyfriend. Like I was the thug in the background that was always with him, always walking with him. So my role wasn't very like major in the film. So I didn't necessarily have to dive into deep, 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 like character work or deep method acting. Um, but I did do things to get ready for character. Like there's this one scene where me and the abusive boyfriend, um, Chris, Chris, Chris Z. I don't know if you know Chris. I love Chris, man. Work, love working with him. Um, but with uh, with Chris, it's a scene where we're just we're we're mad at each other. Like we're just yelling. And so during that scene, like in between takes, like when we first walked in, I didn't talk to him at all. You know what I'm saying? We didn't talk. You know, we stayed away from each other. We distanced each other. I got into a space, a scenario in my head where I was just angry. You know what I'm saying? And when it came time to roll action, that anger, that tension between us was real. You know what I'm saying? Like we were slamming things down. There's a scene where I have this fake, it was a knife or something. And I slam it on the table. I felt bad because I accidentally broke someone's knife, like really nice knife. And I can't remember who it, whose it was, but um, basically on set for acting, I always try to get into that headspace on set. You know what I'm saying? If it's an intense role where I'm mad, I'm not going to be talking to people on set. I'm going to stay in character the entire time. Only time I'll really talk or really break characters if someone's walking me through blocking or the director wants to change something. Um, because um, acting is listening. You know what I'm saying? Acting is 110% listening to the, because ultimately as an actor, if you know what you're doing, the director has a vision. They nine out of 10 times wrote the script and they know what their characters are looking for. Cause as you're writing it, you feel the characters. And so listening to them is paramount to knowing your character. So um, those are the main things to do. Just listen, listening for me and just getting into that headspace. But working with everybody on set is all, it's so much fun. Chase's sets and Chris's sets are some of the best sets I've been on since I've moved down here. And it's not even, well, I mean, they were technically full sale productions because they're in the master's program. But for me, it wasn't a full sale production. It was an outside shoot for me. And it was just so incredible just seeing everybody and the sets are so chill. Like working with, with Chase, I'm actually getting into character for his next film that's coming up. We will be and, talking about that, yes. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. Sounds good. But um. Yeah, so just that set dynamic, I mean, it's so much fun. It's so much fun being on set. It's so much fun talking to other people and meeting other people because set, I mean, it's long hours. You have 12 hour day shoots, um, nighttime shoots, you know, sometimes the food isn't always great, but it's, it's that community. And if you really have a passion for it, you love it and you love every step of it. Don't tell me that. Chase promised me the best food when I go down there. That's going to be upsetting. Hmm. <laughs> oh, not Chase's set. I was just saying in general. Chase, is, Chase fed us well. Chase fed us well. He better. Anyways, um, it's, it's fascinating, though, but like that, that goes back to the chemistry part, too. Like if you have a lot of chemistry on set and you have that good base of support or, and belief as well, you know, you make the product shows up better than what you can anticipate when there's that core set of people. Um, now, what I found mm -hmm. fascinating, too, was earlier in the podcast, you talked about how you don't write your characters for one person. Like you don't really think of a person when you write your characters. 
that's fascinating yeah. to me because I typically do. I typically write for somebody that like I know that could look to play the part because up here in the area we don't have a lot to cast from. Um, but right. do you ever write a scene or try to get in the minds of directing a scene based off something you hear? Because I'm a big, I get big into if if I don't know where I'm going with the scene. And there's a song that I hear on the radio that could be like new or that I've never heard before. It's like, you know what? I can picture this song playing in the background of this scene. It's like, it kind of like, I can kind of write a song like into like mm -hmm. the scene and it sparks another idea. Do you ever listen to music while you write at all? Is, is music ever an inspiration for any of your scenes that you've created? So it's, it's interesting because in a way it's, 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 it's my writing process is weird because it's not like, for me, I'll start with a story and I'll envision that story. I'm not even really thinking about actors. I'm not thinking about songs. It's just a story and I'm so involved in that world. But as I'm writing and as I finish, I go back and read and I'm like, oh, this story, I can see so-and-so playing it. I can see this or I can hear this song playing for this scene. Um, specifically when I'm right, it's like dead silence. You know what I'm saying? I can't have any music playing. I can't have any of this because for some reason I tend to write to the mood. Like I tried, I was writing something. I think I was writing a, a sci-fi film or something like that. And I was trying to play music just to, you know, just have something cancel out the awkward silence. And as I'm, I was listening to like a hip hop song and as I'm writing this sci-fi serious film, it starts to get goofy and i'm like oh i'm writing to the mood of the music you know what i'm saying like i have to for me i have to be it has to be completely silent so i can build my own world because in a way like as writers we're building a world you know what i'm saying when i write i tried okay no music no calls you know what i'm saying nothing just me writing but it, it's kind of weird like when i write um i always tend to talk like the characters or in a way I'll hum music, not anything I've heard, but just what I think would flow right with the story. Um, but I mainly, after the script is done is when I'm usually like, okay, I can see so-and-so playing, or I can see, you know, like this song playing in with that. Um, props to you, man. I think it's actually harder to take a scene and write based off of a scene or right based off of a song i could never do that i could never do that for some reason yeah songs actually it's funny because i feel like some of my best scenes have came from listening to the uh, john williams score for just star wars like i'm not i'm not kidding you. i can listen to that all day in the background to kind of sit by my keyboard and like i'll revise More, normally i don't start a script listening to something but like again like you like i'll get like the plot outlined and it'll be fleshed out and then all of a sudden it's like okay when i'm sitting here all if i'm doing a horror film or whatever i want to type a few like horror skits i'll have like just creepy eerie music in the background playing down here in the studio and it's just like yeah. you know just have something there because then i'm like hmm if i think about it and i start humming something i was like and there's like that that break between ads like you know the song the song that break and it's like you know what that's interesting because like it just sometimes god's timing is perfect and it's weird how yeah. like when you yeah. get it when you get an idea sometimes like the song changes it's like oh okay i guess that's what god wants to interpret for this one and i'm like on the next scene yeah. <laughs> but, but like yeah. that's that's very interesting i've never heard that method before for your writing it's it it, it is um because it's all god it's 110 percent god i've tried to write things on my own like without god and it's just 
just a complete misery. You know what I'm saying? Just like, I, I'll go back and read it. And I'm like, what? This is not good. Like, this is, I can't even, I don't even know if I can rewrite this. I just got to scrap the idea and just completely. So it's, it's um because everybody, um, everybody has, the, the one thing I love about film and especially writing, everybody has a different process. Your writing process works for you. It may not work for me and vice versa. You know, we all have different mindsets. We all have different ways of, of going about things. I mentioned my friend Andrew, he writes and he will have a movie playing and while he's writing and watch a movie while writing, or he will have music blasting and he'll still put together a fantastic script. And I'm just looking at him and I'm like, how do you do that? I cannot do that. And he looks at me and he's like, you write in silence. I don't know if I could do that, man. Like, that's just weird. I, I need to have something playing. I have to have something around me. So that's what I think is so beautiful because it's like, oh, you do it that way. That's interesting. I do it this way. That's, let's talk about that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's really cool. Like just how customizable film is, you know what I'm saying? So now we're going to talk about, and I know Chase has been like, no spoilers, no spoilers, no spoilers, but for his newest film, and yeah. I forget the, I didn't write it down, but I do not remember your character's name. Oh my goodness. What is your character's name in that film? Lonnie. 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 Okay. So when you're playing the part of Lonnie, how has Chase prepped you for Lonnie's role? Okay. So it's very interesting. So I've worked with Chase two times before. And every time he preps me for a character, he always tells me, you are this, 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 and that. He starts describing the character. He doesn't be like, oh, you know, you're playing this part. He's like, no, as Lonnie, you, and it all, I love when he does that. Cause it's like, he's already calling me the character. He's already calling me like, hey, and you know, I don't know if Chase does acting, but he understands how actors work and he understands different methods and stuff like that. I remember being on a set of a tender flower when he was directing, he, he, he was talking to the crew and he knew I was a method actor and he was talking to the crew in the cast and he was like, hey, and you know, if you see Josh in the room, don't really talk to him. He's a method actor. So he gets in the character. And I love that, man, because I've worked with um, a lot of different people. And sometimes, you know, directors don't really understand how actors work. You know what I'm saying? In a way, you don't have to be uh, uh, a Tom Hanks or a, a, an amazing actor to be a director. But if you un you have to understand it. And Chase is excellent at understanding that. Before um, Reluctant Blues, like playing Lonnie, he just did it just like he does. He was telling me about the character, like, you love the Lord and you just want to seek his path. Because, um, no spoilers, um, basically Reluctant Blues is about um, this um, country guy from the South, um, Lonnie Waters. And he has this dream with music and he's just going through life, just trying to seek God through his music and what God wants him to do next. And he starts this path to redemption. Um, very, very powerful film, very powerful film. I wish I could get more into it, but it's just, it's, it's gonna come out soon. But um, basically um, his pre the way he's prepared me for the character um, was just putting me through that world. You've had several Zoom meetings, but I think the biggest prepping I'm going to have to do for this is um, singing a Southern accent and guitar because the character is, you know, black Southern and he sings. Um, I'm realizing I have a voice, but I'm trying to train my voice. So I've learned how to sing for the role. I need to learn how to play guitar. Um, so those are things that are new. I've never had to 
do certain things to get into a role before. So I'm really excited about that. So he's been prepping me with that. So that's where the main prep has been is him walking me through guitar, walking me through the songs that are going to be in the film, walking me through the Southern accent. You know, I'm doing my due diligence to do homework and do research and things like that, just to make sure I'm prepared. But um, yeah, so, and it's interesting because I'm a method actor, but for this film, I literally do not have to method act because it sounds crazy. This character is me. His mindset is exactly how my mindset is. And as I'm reading the script, I'm like, Chase, this is literally me. I don't even have to method act for this. Obviously, you do certain things to get into a mindset, but it's like, as I'm living, I'm like, this character is perfect. And for me, it's kind of a blessing because not only am I acting and doing my passion, but I'm in a way, I feel like I'm getting closer to God while doing it with this film. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to work on Chase with another one. Statistically, I know that method actors tend to like the crazy, insane, evil, vile characters compared to like the, the charming or... Yeah. But do you, do you prefer a role? If somebody's going to cast you, would you rather be the villain or would you rather be the good guy? That's, that's very interesting. So for me... Honestly, it doesn't really matter. I love playing villain roles because it's interesting. Since I've moved down here, every single role I've been in has just been just terrible, like a horrible person, like the worst person you can think of. Like for my film, I was a school shooter, even in comedies. Like for Chris, I was in this this one short where I'm this this toxic boyfriend and it was hilarious, but I'm still a terrible person. In Chris's other film, I'm this snobby jerk um for a tender flower i'm literally helping this guy beat up people and i'm selling drugs and and all of these different things so i've always since i moved down here i've always been a villain i've always been somebody that you just look down upon or somebody that's just just terrible um but it's crazy this reluctant blues this is the first time where i'm the protagonist or not pro, but the first time where I'm actually like a good guy. And I'm just like, this is cool. So it's going to be a new, uh, a new mindset to get into for this. Um, but answer your question, honestly, I, I don't, I don't think I have a preference. I prefer deep roles. I like roles where it's like, wow, this is going to be hard to get in character for because I cannot relate to this person. Like for 2020, getting into the mindset of the school shooter, it was a lot. It was a lot because it's like, obviously, I can't relate to this because this character has also lost everything. So it's going to be deep diving into that. I like deep roles like that for sure. Um, but either one, it doesn't matter. As long as I'm acting, I just love I just love being on screen. Man. I just love acting. How How is your and I and I guess let me for people that don't, and I know we use this enough terms in here, but method acting for people that don't know the actual definition of method acting. Do you want to give them a, I should have asked that when you started using the word, but can you give them have, a brief example of what method acting is? Because it's like, like, it's like Heath Ledger and how he played the Joker method acting. Is how okay. I so thinking of it, thinking of method acting, I've been saying I'm a method actor, but I use methods from method acting, like real so method, method actor. Uh, <laughs> in a way, in a way. It's, so method acting, basically. Method acting is when you take a script and you literally become the character. Like that person is who you are. You're not acting, but you're so deep into the character that it feels real to you, that the emotions are real. 
And typically method actors, like real hardcore method, I kind of cheated a little bit. I'm not going to lie, but real method actors that are hardcore into it, they take the script and the day they get the script, they study it. They are that character until the film is wrapped and they stay into that mindset until it is done and they never break out. They never break out a character they live and that's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing. Um, just saying that definition, I wouldn't consider myself a method actor by that definition, because what I do is I take a script and I'm like, okay, I become the character, but I do it in, in spurts. Like one day I'll be Darian for a few hours. Then I'll pray. I'll break out a character. A couple days later, I'll be Darian. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then always the day before the shoot, I stay in character the whole time, but it's not consistent. Like I don't take the script and I'm like, okay, I'm this character and I'm never breaking out. I'm never going to break out a character, but method actors like intense, they never break out and you get some incredible performances. Cause one thing I'm learning as an audience, if you know nothing about acting, you can tell when someone is real, you can tell when someone has real emotions. You know what I'm saying? Like you can tell when someone is enjoying a conversation versus when they're faking it. Cause it's something about our intuition. It's how we're made. And it, the same goes with films like Heath Ledger, the Dark Knight, one of my favorite films of all time. Incredible performance, the best Joker ever played. But his death, it actually started from method acting because he got so deep into the role, it took a toll on his physical health. It took a toll on his body. And that takes a toll on your mentality. So I just think method acting, real method acting is, is very dangerous. Like even what I do, even, even the, the little preparation I do, like for 2020, I was like, okay, God. And I'm mentioning that because that was the darkest role I've ever had to play. I'm like, God, in Jesus' name, I'm going into character. I'm doing it unto your will. Please help me out, please, in Jesus' name. And I'll pray in and I'll be in that character. And then I'll pray out. But then it's sometimes it's dangerous because I remember the last film that I did, uh, my friend Carson, he does a lot of different short films and stuff like that. And his latest film that we're working on, um, I was playing this drug dealer who turns Christian. And obviously I can't relate to the drug dealing lifestyle, but I grew up Christian. So it was a fine line. Sometimes I could sense myself kind of getting confused in a way. And I had to be careful and back out and really pray. So even in dip, you know, dipping into method acting, it can be dangerous. You just have to always stay prayed up and you have to have an outlet. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the show, um, 13 reasons why, but yes. it's very, very, for, I love the writing, very dark show though, very controversial show, but I don't know if they did method acting, but the acting is obviously spot on. Like the acting is one of the, one of the many things about the show that's just so strong. But one thing about that show, I, I was looking at some behind the scenes things and there was one scene where in between takes, they would have therapy puppies ready for the actors so that way afterwards they just hug the puppies and they cuddle with them because their minds were so deep in they needed a break they needed something to break them out and i don't even think they were method acting that's just pure raw talent and it just goes to show that acting is deep like real acting like when you really want to get that performance you have to go deep and depending on your role it can be dangerous so method acting is one of those things where i wouldn't I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend someone to method act just because 
I, I try not to recommend things I've never done because how can you recommend something that you've never even done? Like, yeah. oh, you should do that and you've never done it yourself. Um, but it's also just dangerous. You know, it's one of those things you must be careful about. You know what I find more fascinating than method acting? I find mm. it more fascinating. And I don't know if it's called a method or not, but when the director hides, like if it's a horror film, like Alien or whatever, when they're operating on the body and the thing pops out and like you get yeah. the, their reaction, and they had no idea what was happening. You look at the It film and like when Pennywise crawled out of the fridge for the first time, and actually, no, it was a projector scene. I don't know if you ever watched it. You saw the new It? No, I've never seen it. I haven't seen it. So there, there's a projector. I, I don't want to ruin it because it's, it's a big pop-up moment more so. But there's a projector screen, one of those old-fashioned film reels where it clicks and it shows on the wall and click, click, click. And you just see the clown in the background, Pennywise. And then that was the first time the kids in that film ever saw Pennywise. They, they they kept drawings from him, like from them. They didn't know they already filmed like sections without him. And then like next thing you know, he's standing behind them and like the shots on their face are real. So I was like, I don't know what yeah. I appreciate more. I don't know if I appreciate method acting or method directing. I'm not hundred percent sure if that's a thing, but <laughs> wish I could. There's a, definitely a term for it. Directors do it all the time. I wish I could memorize the term for it, but that's definitely a thing. And that's just to get the real emotion out. That's to get the best emotion. Um, and uh, I remember we were in class and they were showing us this one example of that, where a director, um, it was a, it was an interrogation scene between two characters. I can't remember the story, but it was deep and the characters hated each other. And the people that were playing these characters were really nice people. But the director told one of the guys, he was like, hey, when you come in to meet this guy, don't say hey to him. Don't say hey to him. Don't talk to him. If you do, be very rude. Be very nonchalant. And the actor listened. And when they, the two actors in real life, when they met each other in real life, he was like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so. And so and he just looked at him and just walked away. And that was the first time he met that person in real life. So on set, there was automatically this uncomfortability. There was automatically this like, man, this guy's a real jerk. Like, shoot and then it came through and of course after they shot he apologized like hey man i'm sorry like the director wanted me to do that um i love stuff like that i've personally never done that with any talent before there has i haven't really found a reason to yet but it's just a fine line obviously like you never do anything that puts your talent at harm as an actor you trust your director you never want to break that trust you know just keeping things you know knowing your talent some actors you can do that with some you can't me personally, I would love if a director did that to me. I would just love that. That would just be so cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you know, not, you just want to make sure you know your talent and you know, cause some people aren't cool with that. You know what I'm saying? Some people can handle it. Well, some people can't. So just as a director listening and just knowing your talent. Now you talked at the beginning of the podcast, the passion of the Christ was one of your biggest inspirations. Um, mm -hmm. Now, obviously I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't know if that's your true inspiration as far as like, you know, what was your, do you have an inspirated or do you have an actor that inspires you? Do you have a director that inspires you? Do you have, is that the first film that ever inspired you to that point? Like, just give us a little bit more background about like, who are your inspirations, whether past, present, they could be a long time ago in the arts. They could be like current actors, current productions. It, it's very, it's very interesting because first as a filmmaker, 
I am terrible when it comes to movies. Like I, there are so many movies I have never seen that I should see as someone that loves this industry. I've never seen Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? That's whoa, like whoa, the big. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? I know. I, never? I know. Never seen Not Star Not even the animated series? Oh, never man. seen Star Wars. Never seen anything, man. Like there's so much that All I right, haven't here's, seen. Here's what we're doing, okay? I'm going to bring the whole DVD collection. And after we get done <laughs> on set, we're watching one every night. <laughs> I would be down for that, man. I want to catch up. I want to catch up. It's it's uh it's one of those things. Um, it's just one of those things about me. I've never. I there's a lot I just have never seen. Right. I'm but, like that with the Godfather. People pick on me all the time. They're like, you've never watched the Godfather. I was like, no. And you know what? One of my favorite things too. Never is seen I the want, Godfather either. I want to watch Schindler's List. It is, and I love Steven Spielberg. I have never seen it. Obviously, mm. it's Academy Award winning. But I was like, I want to watch it. But yeah, like, having having you seen, it? I was like, I don't know. See, it's weird too, and I get, and I think I know where you're going to go with it. But sometimes not reading, sometimes not writing, sometimes not being entertained by other things allows me to create more characters that are more natural. That's yeah, like, that's true. That's so true. That's so true because I take inspiration from films in terms of moods and vibes, but I try my best to make sure. Okay, like. Is this someone, is, am I copying this character from another movie? But like, in terms of inspiration, that film was the start of everything. That film was my biggest inspiration. Like I saw that film and I fell in love with cinema. I fell in love with filmmaking. I fell in love with acting. And I fell in love with cinematography and just how everything courses together. And um, such a powerful film too, man. Such a powerful film, such a exemplary, you know, representation of the gospel. But um, in terms of inspiration, I don't really take inspiration. Like, I don't have a favorite director. I don't have a favorite cinematographer. I mean, I have films that I like. Like, I really, really like Christopher Nolan's films, you know. Um, but I don't really have, like, a favorite. You know, first, I haven't seen enough movies to do that. I need to do my due diligence as a filmmaker and watch. Because Full Sail was telling us this, like, filmmaking is 50% watching movies, 50% making movies. you got to watch movies. you got to pay attention to certain things. And then there's certain things that you get. Like, it's crazy you mentioned The Godfather, man. I really need to see The Godfather. That's one of the things that's been on my to-do list for watching. It's so hard for me, though, because, like, I know there's a lot of now, see, I could sit through 1917. I could sit through the long, the long takes, and it's beautiful how they seamlessly cut it together, and make it look like it's one long shot of them walking throughout the whole film or running because they're getting shot at. But it's also weird too. Like The Godfather has those long, drawn out scenes from like wide angles, but I can't like I in at Dubois Dubois Business College. We sh they showed like that 15 minute clip of like them sitting around the table. Like it's the iconic Godfather scene where they're sitting around the table and the whole mob's there and the Godfather's there talking and it just pans from one side of the room to the other. I'm gonna be like, oh, that's such a boring shot. There's no like close ups. There's no, you're not feeling like you're feeling the tension of the room with the actor. And they're good actors, obviously. They're going on the lines for 15 minutes. I mean, that's a great actor to me. You know, they're not breaking, they're not cutting, mm -hmm. they're just going for 15 minutes of in core intense di dialogue. But like, it just like, it, it doesn't work for me. It's weird too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it really, it's, it's interesting though, because um, that's one of the things I was nervous about with 2020. But when I see films like that with those long shots, um, I love it. I love it because in a way it's like, okay, that person did that for a purpose. They did that for a reason. Because one thing I'm realizing to every single shot, every single scene, 
everything has to have a purpose. If it's not motivated, no matter how cool it is, it doesn't work. You see this problem with student films all the time. It's like, I got a Dutch angle in there. I, I got a drone shot. I got a crane shot. Oh, let's do this fight sequence. And it's like, why are you cutting like that? Or on the flip side, you have a really long dolly shot, but there's no context to it. Like it doesn't add to the story. Why are you doing that? Storytelling is in every technicality of film and shot composition and lighting. And when I see things like that, like, have you seen, have you seen Daredevil, the TV show? Yes. Okay. So do you, yeah, this is iconic. You know, the first, the first season, that fight scene with the, um, with the, with the Russians yep. when he's trying to save that. Okay. So that's a, one of those things where it's one shot of this fight sequence and it's beautiful. And it's like, wow. And I, I always think about shots like, why, did they, why didn't they cut? And I think about it and I'm just like, there's a number of reasons why they didn't cut in that scene to show, first of all, just how incredible Daredevil is. You know what I'm saying? And also to show the weakness, like we're watching it because um, I was talking with my friend Carson and he was talking about how um, the recent film that we're working on looks amazing, by the way, he killed it. But like the recent film that we're working on, um, when I, because I'm also, I acted in that, but I'm also editing it. And he was telling me, like, I don't want too many cuts. I want longer shots. And I was like, oh, why do you do, why do you want that? You know, just out of curiosity. And he was like, because the longer shots you have, the way that we look at the world, I'm looking at my kitchen right now. And it's one thing. I'm not, I, it doesn't cut to here, cuts there. We look at things and that's how we see real life. And so the less we cut in film, it's like, the more realistic it is and the less the audience is reminded that it's a movie, which can give perfect, like, it really depends on what you're going for. There are rules in film, but every rule is up for debate and it's up for breaking if you just figure out a reason for it. And, and I contribute cutting style to pacing because that's not something that you pick up. That's not something you pick up on your first three films. Like, yeah, I, I would say around my fourth film is where I really understood, okay, like, let's let the camera run a little bit longer just in case I need something or tell the actors to slow it down. That's not something that you're work, you're focusing on your first three, four films because you're like, hey, I want to make sure that the lighting's correct. I want to make sure that they're just there on set. You want to make sure that everything else is going on. But really that contributes down the pacing of the film. And that's something that, especially like we're trying to work on a horror film here. And I was like, that's something that I, I think that's going to be my biggest challenge is how do I want to pace that horror film because it's going to be different than the typical action typical drama films that i've ever shot hmm. absolutely yeah absolutely and you know it's just it's just experimenting with it it's just experimenting with the one thing you mentioned about like cutting like a lot of times even if you're doing a quick shot and you know you're only going to use a little bit of that in post it's like sometimes it's better to hold on because you never know how you're going to change because you know, as a director, we were talking about that relationship with directors and actors, but I think an even more important concept is the, is the relationship between director and editor. You know, um, personally, I love editing, so I like to edit my own films, but in the, in the real industry of a director and you have an editor, a separate person, and usually the director is there side by side with the editor, but as a director, you need to understand editing. Even if you don't like it, you need to understand like, hey, these are going to be, I'm going to be cutting like this or I'm doing this shot and I know I'm going to be cutting that together with this shot, you know, for alpha and for Bravo. And 
Um, and understanding that you get an idea of the pace because even the pacing, it serves to the story. Um, I was watching the show, How to Get Away with Murder. Um, Viola, I love that show, man. Such a good show. Um, Viola Davis, there's one shot where her character is going through so much and it's just this one dolly in on her. And it's like that really emphasized the state of mind because every time, at least for me, every time you see a dolly, like, or for me, the most part, when I think of dial thinking you're going into the character's mind. You're going into their state of confusion and their state of despair. You don't see dolly shots in romantic scenes, rarely. Because in a romantic scene, you get more close-ups. You want to get intimate. You want to show that these characters love each other. It's a happy moment. For those dark scenes, it's like dolly, loneliness, you know you know, creepiness, you know, it's all about story and what you're going for, which starts in the writing process. So I'm going to ask you, I guess, some rapid fire questions here to end this off. Um, mm -hmm. If you had to choose one franchise to be a part of, what franchise would you choose? Mm, uh, Disney. I love Marvel too much. <laughs> what character would you play or what would you, what would you have done? Oh, Spider-Man. I, I would play Spider-Man. If I was acting, Spider-Man, Miles Morales. I was about to ask, did you, did you pay attention at all to the internet yesterday about Spider-Man? No, I didn't. Purposely okay. not. Stay off the I internet. I purposely didn't, man, because... <laughs> Stay I'm off so, the internet. Yeah, like, so it, it, was it a spoiler? Don't tell me, was it like a big spoiler? Uh, no, it was... And I watch him. He's on YouTube talk, called John Campia. He used to work mm. at AMC and like have a lot higher. Well, I shouldn't say higher. I guess he's doing more successful now. He's got like more subs, obviously, than I got. So, mm. um, but he had posted two pictures that he thought were photoshopped, and then he had to delete them because he got a call that said, "Hey, these probably aren't." Okay, no, no, no. See, I don't know why, bro. It's like anytime a big movie comes out. I can't stand it because people just love to just, why are you posting that? I don't want to see that. I want to see it in the movie. But like my, my friend drives me crazy because like we went to go see Venom together. Okay. Mm -hmm. And of course it's the first time me and him are going to see it. Of course I love Venom one. I'm like, okay, okay, Matt, you ready to go? He's like, yeah. He's like, I already know what the end credit scene is. I'm like, why? <laughs> He's like, cause I looked at the whole movie. Yeah. I was like, He's like, do you want to know? I was like, no, don't tell me. Yeah. I have a friend like that, man, a friend. He loves to spoil stuff. He's like, so you want to know the end of the movie? And I'm like, no. And he's like, well, you know, and I'm like, no, I just said, no, like, don't, don't, don't tell me the end. I'm big on spoilers. I was, I was getting a haircut and you know, the new Eternals movie came out. Yes. I didn't want to be spoiled, but I could hear a family talking about the movie. They weren't spoiling it, but I got real nervous, man. I was like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm in a barber shop. I can't mess up. So I'm like, please, please don't say anything, please. So I've been trying to stay away from Google with Spider-Man, stay away from I was on YouTube and you know how YouTube recommends stuff in your feed. Oh, I've terrible. watched no way. I've watched the no way home trailer a good hundred thousand times. So I always get no way home stuff in my feed and I just ignore it. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. But now, Miles, I, I would love to play Spider-Man. I would love to play Spider-Man. Do you think there's ever a possibility of bringing Miles Morales into the, to the MCU or to the Sonyverse? Oh, he's already in. Well, he's already the, in. With the animated, but I'm just wondering, is there going to be, do you think, a live action? Oh, no, he's already in. I don't know if you, I, I was just action. told this. In, um, if you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming, 
there's a scene where his uncle is in the movie and he's like miles morales uncle is in the movie and he has a line where he's like oh let me call my nephew real quick and that's an obvious reference to miles i didn't remember that but it's in it's in spider-man homecoming the first tom holland spider-man film so interesting it's just a matter before we see him see which is interesting i i expected him to be more multi or in this multiverse of madness or whatever that's about to transpire it seems like so that's where i would assume he would come in but i mean if he's already living among peter parker I, that's cool too <laughs> mm. i'm excited to see what they do with his character though for sure um boy i got so sidetracked with that one <laughs> sorry i just marveled at it <laughs> no it's all good man um favorite film of all time Oh my gosh. Ah, uh, do you at least have a top three? Favorite. Top it's hard. To, it's favorite. Really hard to okay. So my favorite film of all time would be passion of the Christ because okay. of the message and because of the way that they did that story. It was so beautifully crafted, such a strong message. And I loved how it wasn't in English. I just loved that. Cause I was just like, wow, just a new aspect to it. Like they went and did that in Hebrew. Um, dang man, I, I haven't seen a lot of movies, so I'm gonna miss out a lot of classics. Was like that you forgot about that, but The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight, I absolutely loved how that's not. It, it didn't even feel like a superhero movie. The cross cutting in that movie, the story, the suspense, the character buildup was just magnificent. Um, that's two. I would say those are my top two. Those are the ones that I think of off the top of my head. I can't really think of a third one, but yeah, for sure. Passion and The Dark Knight. Describe yourself in three words. Ah, three. Describe something in three words. Three words. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, that's interesting. Um, I would say motivated, caring, and um what's another one uh i guess friendly motivated caring and friendly i, I guess i have i don't really that's interesting because you have those questions all the time i always struggle with that because like it's just like i don't know i don't really i just don't really think about those things too much but motivated i know for me if i'm doing something I, it has to be a reason for it and me and 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 God, you know, he all he's so patient with me, man. He he's always talking to me, and he's like, "Do this," and I'm like, "But there's no more." And I'm like, "You don't need motivation. Just do what I'm telling you to do. I'm God. I created you. I know everything. Just do it." So, I got to work on that. But in terms of other things, I have to have motivation. I can't just do stuff just to do it. Um, caring. I don't know. I just I, I really I really love talking to people, and I really under I love to understand. Like this conversation has been so good, bro. Like I love I love talking to you. You know what I'm saying? I love getting to you know. I want to in a way I want to like interview you and get to know more about your story. And I know we've talked a little bit before, man, but I'm definitely gonna hit you up just to talk, man, for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm here anytime. Oh no, for sure, man. Absolutely. But you know, caring and friendly. I guess. I mean, I, I like, I love people. I absolutely love people. So, I mean, I, I would say those three things for sure. So to end with some motivation to anybody that has stuck around this long in the podcast, what would you either a say to a younger version of yourself 
or B, say to somebody that's in, aspiring to be a filmmaker or an art, an artist, a musician, whatever their career choice is, the floor is yours for the final word. Speak from the heart and just give some motivation to anybody out there listening for this field. So for the, the first part, if I were to say something to my younger self, um, my younger, I would say, don't overthink. Don't worry and just move. Be confident in who you are. Because I struggled a lot with confidence growing up. I struggled, struggled a lot with can I do this? You know, am I worthy for this? Like, God, are you there? So I would just tell myself, don't worry, because he's going to, God is going to show you just how much he's there for you. And that kind of ties into the second part. Like if you're, whatever your dream is, no matter how ridiculous other people may say it is, or how far-fetched run for it. Cause one thing I'm learning, man, like you will do, we will do whatever we can. If we put our mind to it, the difference between people that make it and people that fail is them it's not their circumstances because it's a principle it's a godly principle but it's a principle of life if you put your mind if you believe you can do something and you don't give up you will do it so no matter how hard your dream may be no matter how intimidating it may seem no matter what odds are against you if you truly love it if you're truly passionate about it don't give up and don't let anybody talk you out of it because ultimately it's you it's your decision like are you going to pursue it because if you pursue it and you put your mind to it and you just run after it even when it gets hard i promise you you'll make it and i'm not i'm still somebody that's living by that i'm still somebody that's just pursuing but it's just i've just i've seen so many people in my life and just so many things in the world stories people that just struggled and just fought through but they believed in their dream and they did it and um, I would just encourage, you know, like, I don't know why I feel led to say, but Steve Harvey, I think he was homeless for a long time, but he never gave up and look at where he is. You know, Tyler Perry. And one thing about all of these people is that they always said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to make it in the industry. I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to do it. And they do it. That's the difference. Just hold on to that. The difference between people that are great, people that are in the industry, people that make it and people that don't make it. It's not that that person was better. It's not that that person had more skill. It's not that that person was more talented. It's that they believed in their dream. Michael Jordan, the greatest NBA player of all time. He was not always good in high school. He got cut from his high school team to be cut from your high school team. It's you're not that good. But look at where he is now because he, he worked and he made it. So it's not skill that differentiates those that make it versus those that don't. It's literally their mindset and what you put your mind to. So just keep running after that. Joshua Wright, everybody. Thank you, Joshua, for joining me on the Hope Speaks podcast. Where can people find you? Me. Oh, so um, mainly my Instagram. So um, at Joshua Wright. 8477. I think that's right. J O S H U A W R I G H T 8477. That's my main Instagram handle. Um, on YouTube, uh, G Guided Productions. And this is not necessarily mine, but me and Noah's podcast at Empower Podcast on Instagram. That's where you can check us out for sure. Well, Josh, thank you for joining me. Thank you guys for watching. This is another episode of Hope Speak Podcast on the Shape Hope Channel. Thank you guys.